Let me just say this, church family, and those, of, and those of you who are visiting with us this morning. When I say, He is risen, what is your response to that? Now, I am under the impression that we have a full house here, and I have a visual impression that that is in fact true. So I think we can do a little better than that. Okay? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. This last Friday, we got to celebrate what we traditionally call Good Friday. Now, I don't know if you have. Uh, have recognized the irony of what we title Good Friday because Good Friday is somewhat bittersweet when you think about it, right? It's good in the sense that we benefit greatly because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, but it's also bitter in the sense that Jesus had to do what we could not do for ourselves. He came, he lived a perfect life, he suffered, and he died so that we would have life forever. We did not earn that. We could not merit that. We could not choose that. Jesus, by God's grace, did that on our behalf. So we call it Good Friday because we benefit greatly. Our eternal life is secure in that. But here's the thing. Easter On the third day when Jesus rose again, Easter is this glorious celebration celebrating the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. And it is this news of a resurrected Savior that is really our central message. This is foundational to what it means to be Christian. And it is also the message that Jesus has given to us to proclaim in all the world. Now, I know that some of you know this, but we have a partnership with a ministry organization called ZimZam Global. Zim for Zimbabwe, Zam for Zambia. Mash it together, ZimZam Global. And in ZimZam Global, the, the thrust is to reach children with the ultimate purpose of reaching the whole family, and the ultimate purpose beyond that is to reach the entire people group. And so we, have a, we are partnered with that organization, and we have multiple footprints around the globe. One such area that we continually return to is in Northeast India. In Northeast India, God in a miraculous, sovereign, divine way, brought the gospel to these Northeast Indians, very tribal in nature. They don't look like your Pakistani Indian. They look very Asian in descent. And yet God brought the gospel to these people, and the gospel has flourished. It's incredible. One such trip that Pastor Tom and I when we were there, we were, remind, we were told a story by the wife of Rachunda, uh, Rachunda Pudaiti. Rachunda Pudaiti was the man in which God used to bring the gospel. He established hospitals, schools, churches all throughout that area. But Rachunda's wife, Maui, relayed to us a story, and it's something that I've shared in the past, but I always come back to the story every single Easter. When we were talking with Maui Pudaiti, she asked, she was coming, walking, making her rounds through their hospital, and she came, and again, their hospital is filled with all kinds of people, Buddhist people, Muslim, Muslim people, all kinds of people, and she came up to this one man, and as she was approaching this man, she knew that he was a Muslim man, and she asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say to this man? 
What is it that you have for me to communicate to this man? And as she was walking towards this man, Maui felt led by the Lord not to dive into an an apologetic defense of Christianity, but instead to validate the man for his devoutness and sincerity, even though he was Muslim and she was a Christian. She even felt led by the Spirit to acknowledge that Muhammad was a smart man. After all, he did write the Quran. But as she engaged in conversation, as they dialogued back and forth, it finally came to a conclusion. It came to this ultimate point in which Maui was able to say this, the difference between your faith and my faith is that Muhammad's bones are still in his grave. But my Jesus' bones are not in the grave because my Jesus has risen from the grave. You see, what makes Christianity, what makes Jesus distinct among all other religious leaders or religious systems is that Jesus is the only man, the religious leader who rose again. He's the only one whose grave is empty. Muhammad, Buddha, the multiple lamas, Joseph Smith, Mary Eddie Baker, or whatever religious founder you want to think of, they all still fill their graves. But the tomb of Jesus is empty because Jesus is alive, because Jesus has risen indeed, right? So what difference does that make for you and for me? That's exactly right, Mike. Everything. It makes an eternal difference for all of us. Here's why the resurrection of Jesus is so significant for you and for me, first and foremost. It is this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our assurance. It is our guarantee that we also will be resurrected as his followers. The only basis or assurance that you and I have of our resurrection is because Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, also rose from the dead. That's it. Good Friday is good. Yes, it is because God provided a way of forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. But it is God's redemption. We see that God's redemption does not stop there. It does not stop at the forgiveness of our sins because we could be innocent and still dead. You see, what we are in need of is we are in need of a risen Savior so that we too might be guaranteed eternal life and resurrection from our dead. This is what Paul speaks to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, if Christ had, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then our proclamation is worthless and unfounded, and we are still dead in our sins. But since he has been raised from the dead, then his resurrection is a guarantee of our resurrection. It is as the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we've been going for, through 1 Peter through our, uh, this last number of months, Peter says this, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, reserved in heaven for you and for me. That's why he goes on to say, in this you rejoice, right? In this you have reason to rejoice. Look what God has done for you through his Savior, through the Messiah, through our advocate, Jesus Christ. The question that I want to answer for us this morning is this. What does this living hope that Peter makes reference to in 1 Peter 1, what does this living hope mean for you and for me? Now, there's a number of things we could discuss here, but I'm going to limit it to five. So you can thank me later for that. First of all, this living hope that Peter makes reference to means that death is not our end. Living hope means that death is not our end. Just yesterday, some of you were participating in that, just yesterday, we had a celebration of life for Lyle Baudet. God granted Lyle almost 91 years on this earth, an incredible legacy People just sharing over and over again how he had impacted or influenced their, li- their life in some way, shape, or form. We got to truly celebrate. It was a worship service. It wasn't a dirge. It wasn't hopeless. It was celebratory because guess what? Lyle is with Jesus. How do we know that? Because of what God promises in his word. And because Jesus has resurrected from the dead, we know, based on the authority of God's word, that Lyle is now resurrected with Christ. And he will reign and rule and live with Christ forever. But the fact is, every memorial, every funeral, every graveside, every celebration of life has this opportunity for each of us who continue to live to face our own mortality. As I always say in every memorial that I oversee, there is a 100% mortality rate in the human race. You may disagree with everything I say this morning, but I know we can agree on that. One day we will all die. And the question that every person must come to grips with is this. What assurance, what confidence do I have in my resurrection? The Bible says that the confidence you have of your resurrection when you die and leave this physical body is that you will be resurrected to newness of life because Jesus rose from the dead. In other words, we live because he lives. That's it. We live because Jesus lives. There's another reason why this living hope is so important to us, and that is that that living hope means that evil will not win in the end. We can look across the horizontal landscape, either politically or socially, and we go, man, what in the world is going on? But may I rest, kind of give you a peace of mind. The Bible tells us exactly what's going to happen, and you know what? We already know the end of the story. Wickedness does not prevail. The evil one does not prevail. Jesus has already conquered, and one day he will fulfill all things. All things will be made new. 
I love what the prophet Habakkuk said when he wrestled about the, the, the seemingly prevailing of, of evil in his time. And he asked this question to God. He says, oh, how long, O oh Lord, must I call for help? And you, and you seem to not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and to fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. He's not just talking about our day today, by the way. He's talking about his day. And I love what the Lord says in response to Habakkuk. He says, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone were to tell you about it. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. All you have to do is look to the book of Revelation and parts of Ezekiel and, the, and parts of Daniel, and you see how all things kind of culminate to a, a definitive end. You see how all things come to completion, and we see that evil is once and for all destroyed, and we get a description of God's eternal reign forevermore. So this living hope means that the evil one and the, uh, that evil does not win in the end. But thirdly, this living hope means new life available to you today. New life is available for you today. You see, Jesus came, as he said, to set the captive free. We just sung a song about it, actually. He came to set the captive free, not someday, but today. Christ's resurrection power by the Holy Spirit not only takes residence in our lives as followers of Jesus, but also provides resurrection freedom, not someday, today. It's why Paul will say in Romans 6.4, Christ was raised from the dead. Why? So that we too might walk in newness of life today, right now. This newness of life is what Jesus references in Luke chapter 4 when he says, I came to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to give sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Living hope means that newness of life is available for you today. But fourthly, this living hope means that fullness of joy. Everybody wants to be happy, right? Fullness of joy is available to you, not someday, but right now. Not eventually, but today. You see, one of the most unfortunate perspectives that many Christians have continued to either think and also teach is that divine joy is a reality that is reserved in heaven someday but not necessarily available to us today, at least not to the same degree. But this is not what Jesus taught. In John 15, Jesus teaches this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made partial to some degree, 
full. Jesus promises fullness of joy today, not someday, today. Divine joy is available now. God does not say you've got to wait till you get to heaven. He promises it today. Now, of course, we need to qualify that. Joy, fullness of joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. If you were with us last week, you would understand what I'm talking about. Joy is not dependent upon the absence of suffering or the absence of struggle. But divine joy is promised even in the midst of your struggle. And that is good news. There's even better news. This living hope means a better tomorrow. I love the picture that John the Apostle gives us in in Revelation chapter 21. It's one of my favorite passages to go to. It whets my appetite. It puts salt on my tongue and makes me want to just gulp deeply of these eternal promises. Listen to what John says in Revelation chapter 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully addressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. This is not a fantasy story. This is not a hope-filled story that maybe just helps us get through life. This is the promise of God and available for all those who have given their life to Jesus. What is this living hope that Peter makes reference to in 1 Peter 1? He says this, this living hope is available to all of us who belong and have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. Thomas Jefferson, he was one of the founding fathers of the United States. He was a great man who can be praised for many different accomplishments. If you know your history, you know what I'm talking about. But what was interesting about Thomas Jefferson was this. Thomas Jefferson would not accept the miracles described in Scripture, especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, Thomas Jefferson edited his own version of the Bible that excluded anything that was supernatural. In fact, in his editing of the Gospels, the Gospels ends in this way. He says, There lay Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher and departed the end. What a sad ending to the story, according to Thomas Jefferson. What a Greek tragedy of sorts. But thank God Jefferson is wrong. Thank God Thomas Jefferson's version of what really happened is actually not the real version of what happened 2,000 years ago. Thank God the death of Jesus is not the end of the story. So if we were to ask this question, what hope, what hope does the widow have as she mourns or the widow have as he mourns the loss of his or her spouse 
What hope does the crippled or mentally challenged person have? What hope does the martyr or the family of a martyr have? What hope does the family have after they hear the loss of a child? What hope does the couple have when they cannot bear children? What hope does a person have who has been struggling with depression and there's no quick, easy solution to it? What hope do they have? Every scenario, every question has the same answer. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. If you're ever looking for a passage to memorize, this is it. Jesus says this very definitively. I am the resurrection and the life. Who is? Jesus says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Do you believe this? Let me ask you, all of you who are in attendance this morning, do you believe this? Does your life depend upon this promise? For those of you who have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, I just want to say this formally, but with a warm welcome and invitation. May today be the day of your salvation. May today be the day in which your name is written in the book of life. May today be the day in which you gain that assurance and that confidence that when I die, not if, but when I die, I know, based upon the authority and the promises of God's word, that I will reign and I will live forever with King Jesus. May today be the day of your salvation. Do not delay. Do not postpone. Life is fragile. Your heart beats this morning. May you respond to the Spirit's prompting in your heart.